This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Good evening. Um, welcome back. It's been about four months since I've uh, given our uh, Wednesday night cheer. Um, I'm glad that you're all listening tonight, Mitzvah Shem. We're going to try to catch up. Um, uh, we're up to Pashish Chayisar right now. But I'm going to try maybe to give one or two or maybe even three shirim a week starting next week so that we can catch up to the Pashish. We're going to start tonight going back all the way back to Bereshish. Uh, maybe we'll say one Dvatera on Chayisara, but um, definitely you're going to catch up in Mitz Hashem and try to give more shirim during the week. Uh, we'd like first to talk about um, a very dear to me, a tzedakah very dear to me. It's called dailygiving.org. One word, daily, D-A-I-L-Y, giving, G-I-V-I-N-G, dot org. Um, a dollar a day. It's easy, inexpensive to do the bits of tzedakah every single day. There's no pushkas, there's no, you know, there's, um, you don't have to remind yourself. Some people are not being able to go to shul. This way you're able to give tzedakah every day. You're part of a cloud. It's not just one person. Um, this one dollar a day ends up, I think right now they're at a million and a half dollars, um, 4,000 people, maybe 4,100 people. It's like over a million dollars a year. Um, many different tzedakahs. It's not just to one tzedakah. So um, everything goes to tzedakah. There's no no one on top. The person who runs it, who I know very well, he's a doctor. He doesn't take any money from this. So everything goes um, to tzedakah. And you can give it Lili Nishmas, for Shalema. Um, you're supporting 42 different organizations to get money. Um and they're giving out over $125,000 a month. It's a, it's a, it's Nayudik. It takes one minute. Just go to dailygiving.org, D-A, D-A-I-L-Y, giving.org. And, um, you can even, they say, who, who'd you hear about it? You can say that you heard about it from, from Robert Wallstein. Um, I am one of the tzedakahs that does get from it. Um, and many, 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 all, you know, every one of these charities that, that gets from it. And it's really amazing. It started off just as an idea. And now it's, it's making millions, but we need more than 4,000 people. 4,000, it's very little. If, we, if there's a concert online, there's 100,000 people watching the concert. Uh, why do we only have 4,000 people giving a dollar a day? We need to get, we need to get a lot more. Okay. Um, I want to start off with, um, I'm not getting political. A lot of people want me to get political tonight. Well, I can tell you, if you heard my share many, 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 many months ago, I just told you it might be the time to get out of here. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying I said so, but uh, yeah. Um, Mishnah Yud, Perak Aleph. Shmaya and Avtalia Kiblu Mehem. Shmaya and Avtalia were Makabal. Shmaya Aima, Avas and Malacha. You should love to do to work. To work, not to sit around and do nothing. It's not a Rabbanus. Rabbanus is very hard to be a rabbi and, and, and all the stuff that it entails. Don't get too close to politicians. Why? Mishnah Gimel, Perek Sheni. Havi Zahirin Barishos. This is written by the rabbis thousands of years ago. Havi Zahirin Barishos. Be careful when it comes to politics. She'en Mekabin Leli Adam. They don't get close to you. Elo Lutzerich Atzmam. Only for their good. They say what you want to hear. To get your vote. They look like they love you while you're helping them. But they're not there for you when you need them. In the in the past couple of months, I heard this going all everyone's you know, a lot of people talking, and I'm not saying that he's not, but a lot of people were talking that, you know, we have a friend in the White House. Trump is a Jewish Jewish people's friend because of various Israel, whatever it is. He's our friend. Because Baruch Hu is screaming back at us now. Jewish people, you have one friend. And he's not in the White House. He's in Shemayim Ba'aretz and everywhere else. And that is me, said Hashem. You only have one friend, Klai Yisrael. And that is me, said HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's another mission in Perkeyavos. That talks about defunding the police. Interesting, 2,000 years ago. Mishnah Beis in Perak Shlishi. Rav Chanina Sigan HaKoyim Oymer. Havo Mispawel Bishlomo Shalmachos. You should daven for the peace of the nation. 
For if there is no fear, there's no retribution, there's no jail, there's no police. The people, a man and his friend, a man and another friend, will swallow up each other alive. And that's what's going on in America today. I heard on the news today that 500 police officers did um, early retirement in New York because they don't feel that they're being backed. 500 police quit. So America and, and, and a lot of other police all over, all over America are quitting because they don't feel that they're being backed. The Mishnah says, be careful because if there's no Meirah, there's no fear of retribution then people will begin to kill each other, will begin to swallow each other. So we have to realize at this point that the only Savior that we have, and the only one that we have, um, is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We lost a very big Gadol this week. We lost Rav uh, Dabar Feinstein, who was actually my Paisik in many questions when it came to, um, to Ornava. His anava, his trying to show everyone how simple he is, was was absolutely amazing. It was a gadol. There was no one in the world that when he passed in, no no bezin at Israel, no bezin in America, no bezin anywhere that would go against um, Rav David's psak because he was politically totally uninvolved um, and his psak was very very pure. And um, yeah, Klaishro's mamish were orphans. We're losing all our gedolim. We're losing all our tzaddikim. We're mamish orphans. The Gemara says that in the times of Mashiach, you'll have nobody to turn to, no gedayla, no one to turn to, except HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's happening slowly but surely. Okay, what I'd like to do is, um, you know, we wrote this book, this uh, beautiful sefer. We've honored them, revered them, a, a lesson a day on Kibbutz of Aim. So from now on, every time I give a shir, I'm going to learn a lesson um, from inside. Interesting, um, this is the book, Purple, and bookstores have it. And to this date, since it came out, we sold about 5,000 copies. So I asked, why only 5,000 copies? Uh, the other book that we wrote uh, on on, um, on Hakosa Tov, Let There Be Rain, we sold much more, much faster. How come, how come it's not selling? It's everyone needs to have it. And they told me that the only people that are buying it are the parents, not the kids. <laughs> the kids don't want to know what the halakas are. The parents want to know the halakas. They can tell the kids, by the way, kids, I hate to tell you what I did to you, everybody who's watching. I did a terrible thing to you. What I do? You come to Shemaya after 120 years, Hashem's going to say, why did you do kibbutz again that you were supposed to? And you're going to say, I didn't know the halakas. And Hashem's going to say, what do you mean? They put out a book on the halachas. Why did you buy it? I got you all into big trouble. So, uh, yeah, you don't have that excuse anymore. There's a safer, right? Honor them, revere them. That um, you can go to the farm store. You know, I wrote it together with Shimon Finkelman. This is the book. You no, no longer have an excuse to say, you no longer have an excuse to say, uh, I didn't know the halachas. So go, there, go out there and get your safer. All right, lesson two, page eight. A very special mitzvah. Different people excel in different areas. Praiseworthy is the one who excels in Kibbutz of Aim. Oh, it's about, it's about my father. Oh, cool. If Yitzhak HaKain Wallstein was such a person, in the words of his son, of Zechariah Wallstein, my father treated his mother like a princess. He traveled from Muncie to Manhattan every Friday to wish her a good Shabbos, my grandmother, and receive her bracha. When she would travel to Israel, he would buy her a first-class ticket, he would drive her to the airport and ask her for a bracha when he took leave of her. Once my father was in Florida, it's a true story, when he was in Florida with my mother, and my grandmother was going to Israel. He flew into New York from Florida, met my grandmother in Kennedy Airport, got benched from her, got a bracha, said goodbye, put her on the plane, and he went back to Florida. He flew from Florida to New York just to put her on a plane to Israel, get a bracha, and he went back to Florida. Kirat of Aim is the Chamura Shibachamura. It's one of the strictest and most difficult mitzvahs in the Torah. It is important enough that it is included in the Sarasadibra. The Mishnah states that it is a mitzvah for which one earns the fruits in this world, while the principal reward is reserved for the world to come. The Gemara states that honor appears is equated with the honor of Hashem. 
Tanah Devei states the entire world is the Kodesh Baruch Hu. And all that he asks of a man is that he should honor his father and mother. The Seraphim Dibbutz were inscribed on two luchas. One tablet had the mitzvah ben Elmachavero, the first five, between man and Hashem. The other had the mitzvah ben Elmachavero, the second five. Kibbutz of Aim is the fifth of the mitzvah ben Elmachavero. Why? Shouldn't it belong in the group of mitzvahs between Alma Chavero, between a person and a person? It's you and your parents. The Sefer Chinuch writes, the Kibbutz of Aim is rooted in Akar Satov, gratitude. It is the key of recognizing Hashem's infinite blessings and striving for a greater level of what is Hashem. writes, there is something very special about Kibbutz of Aim. It is only because we see and perceive the goodness of our parents towards us that we have some sort of understanding of all the good that Hashem does for our sake. Were it not for the parent-child relationship, a person would go through life thinking that he himself is the source of all that he has. However, when a person considers the fact that through his parents and he came into this world, that he grew and developed thanks to their efforts, he has before his eyes a living reminder of the kindness of Hashem, who sent him down into this world, provides him with all his needs, keeps him alive from the moment to moment, sustains him and grants him wisdom. Thus, a father and mother are sort of a living Sefer Torah through which a person learns to appreciate the goodness of Hashem. That is why when Yosef would hear his mother's footstep, he would say, I must arise before the Shekhinah that has come. When Yosef used to hear his mother, he said, the Shekhinah is coming because we can appreciate our parents, we can appreciate Hashem if we appreciate our parents. Alright, so that brings me to today's lesson. But before we go back to Pasha's Bereshis, I would like to say a short word on Pasha's Chayisara. Pasha's Chayisara begins, Vayiyu Chayisara, Melashana Chayisara was a hundred years, Esrim Shana, twenty years, Visheva Shanim, seven years, Shnei Chayisara. So Rashi bothers him, why doesn't it say, that she was maybe Esim Bisheva Shanim, 127 years. Why 100 years and 20 years and 7 years? Why does why does it why does it break it up? Says Rashi. The Kaknik of Shadow Bachok Kal Kal, she called Echad Nishashad. Bas Kuf Kibas Chof Lechet. She was 100 years old. She was like a 20 year old when it came to sin because a person until they're 20. In Shemayim, there's no Bezin Shemayim on her. Ma'bas chaf lo'chata, shari'enu bas anshim, because she wasn't a bas anshim by 20. Ah, bas chaf lo'chay. U'bas chaf kubay zayin li'yayfi. She was 20 years old, but she, her skin was as beautiful as a 7-year-old. Okay. Shnei chaye sarah, it already said, this is Rashi's kasha, it already said, vayiyu chaye sarah, this is the life of Shana, 127. So then why did at the end of the passage say, shnei chaye sarah, the years, this is the life of the years of Sarah. You already said by you in the beginning. So why are you repeating it at the end of the passage saying Shnei Sarah? What does Rashi say, everyone? Everyone knows. Shnei Sarah, Kulam, Shavan, Vatayva. They were all equal. Good. They were good. They were all good. A little bit of my speech tonight. What are you talking about, Rashi? Her years were good. She was kidnapped and accosted by Paro. Then she was kidnapped and accosted by Abimelech. That's good years. Then she didn't have children for 90 years. Then in her house lived Hagar who the Medrash says continuously teased her that she had a child and so didn't have children. Then she had a child named Yitzchak who was going off to Derech because of Yishmael. Then she died of a heart attack or whatever she died from because she saw that her son was being shechted. Rashi, what are you talking about? That all her years were equally good. They weren't good. Neyudikakasha. Pleyadikakasha. Bomb question. And the answer is that is what Rashi is saying. 
even though she was 100 and she was 20 and 7, and even though she went through in all those years different problems and different trials and tribulations, as far as she was concerned, her life was amazing. Equally, when she wasn't in Paro's house, <coughs> when she wasn't in Avimelech's house, equally, her life was always good because she was focused, Sari Menu was focused on the good stuff that she had in her life. Many years ago I spoke and a lot of people on that Tisha B'Av get really angry at me because they really didn't understand what I was saying. And I said that we go through in life many hardships and it's really most of the time not our choice. A lot of the stuff that happens to us in life is not our choice. And Rav Shem Pinkus, I talk about this all the time, Rav Shem Pinkus said like, People walk around saying that they have Bechira, that they have choice. But really, in the important things in life, we don't have choice. Born a girl or born a boy wasn't your choice. Big difference between being a girl and a boy in many aspects of life. Being born a Jew or being born a Muslim, Christian, Buddhist, whatever else, wasn't your choice, unless you're a Gair and you made that choice, but most of us are not Gairim, and we did not make that choice. Born into a Hasidic family, Litvisha family, born in Sephardi, born Ashkenazi, born in Israel, born in, born in New York, or born in Oklahoma, born outside not knowing anything, or born into a Hasidic family, or born into whatever that is, that happens when you're born, wasn't your choice. So you don't have a choice whether you're a girl or a boy, you don't have a choice whether you're a Jew or not a Jew, you don't have a choice in where you were born and where you live, Right? Pretty much not your choice. I live in Flatbush, and I don't live in Israel, or I don't live in Montana, or I don't live in Baltimore, right? Not my choice. Where I go to school until I have a choice, which is way later in my life, I really don't, really not my choice. So, who my brothers and sisters and siblings and cousins are, not my choice. Who I marry 40 days before I come to the world, they announce it in Shemayim, not my choice. First, uh, first zivug is not your choice. So Rav Shimshim Pink is asked, "What? What's your choice? What's your bechira? Uh, if you're gonna like strawberry ice cream, vanilla, or chocolate, is that why a person came down to this world? So if you don't have a choice, you might as well just be an apple tree." He says, "What's the choice of a human being? And there are people who go through trauma." They're born into a dysfunctional family. They're physically abused or emotionally abused, or parents got divorced. Not your choice that you were born into a family and your parents got divorced. Or there's sickness in the family. Or mental health in the family. Not your choice. So the question is, what is your choice? Bomb question. What makes you a human being? What does it mean that you have a choice? That you have Bechira? So it's a Rambam. And, and Rav Shimshin explained it very beautifully. He said... The only choice a person has in life is what do you do with the things that you have no choice? That you are a girl, that you are a boy, that you are a Jew, that you are Hasidish, that you're not Hasidish, that you're from Montana, you're from New York, that you have dysfunctional appearance, your parents are divorced, you have functional appearance, your parents have a great marriage, you brothers and sisters, all these different things, you live here, you go to this school. What do you do with the things you have no choice? You step in, and you step up, and you do what you gotta do, or, I'm a victim. You step out. You give up. Now, everybody took that as very, when I said it, very, that I don't care about victims, and and uh, I am a victim too. So I do definitely care about victims. Um, it's not a question of what, what you care, you don't care. It's a question of a coaching, of of get up or don't get up. So, it's very fascinating that this Rashi is telling us Shnei Chayei Sarah Sari Meina was, was kidnapped, accosted by Paro, kidnapped, accosted by Abimelech, made fun of for many years by Hagar, struggled with Yishmael. Didn't have children for 90 years when people made fun of her that your husband Avram could heal anyone but he can't heal you. 
Litsane Hadar made fun that she got pregnant. All the newspapers, all the fake news, a lot of fake news in those days. All the fake news said that you lived with Avram, you never got pregnant, that one night with Paro, and you got pregnant. Ha ha, we know who the real father is. Made fun of her. No children. Says Rashi. She wasn't a victim. All her years, as far as she was concerned, she was a survivor. She was good. They were all good. Last week, I was sitting at a kiddush next to a survivor in his 90s. I'm very curious always. How did you deal? Like, we just went, we went through COVID. And we lost 2,000, maybe 3,000, 3,000 too many people. Rabbanim that we know and friends that we know, guys that are younger than me, and people that I was very close to, and Siddiquim that I was very close to, and Bali Tzedakah that I was very close to, and, and we couldn't leave our houses, and we got depressed, and, and they're talking right now about a lot of people that had suicidal thoughts and people who went on drugs and people who had to go on anti-anxiety medicine because they're locked in their houses and you can't go to school and all these tragedies and people are checking into the hospitals and not checking out. And we're broken, broken. And some of us are even meyayish, we give up. How do you go through a Holocaust when six million Jews die? Six million, not 2,000. Six million and there's no yeshiva in the house or a minion outside or a minion in the park. There's no food. I mean, everyone had circus. Everybody had food. Everyone had Pesach. Everyone had matzah. Yes, we were separated from our families, but we were sitting in air-conditioned houses with lights. We weren't sitting in Auschwitz. Not having food for weeks. People dying. No showers. Nothing. We had showers. So it, I'm always very curious. How did they survive how did they come to America and not give up on God and all, our, all these shivas and shuls that we have, everything that we have all the Yiddish that we have are from survivors not from victims and they don't even want to talk about the Holocaust so I got a chance to speak to an over 90 year old Holocaust survivor and I asked him I need you to tell me the truth. I'm not going to go off the derech. I promise you. I'm not going off the derech. Tell me the truth. You came out of Auschwitz. He lost everybody. Brothers, sisters, parents. He came back to his town. He figured, he told me he figured that, you know, they would come back from wherever they were. And he waited and he waited and he waited and nobody came back. Everybody was dead. They killed everybody. I said, tell me the truth. I need to know the MS. Did you have a question on Hashem? You have to tell me the truth. Don't, don't, don't be, don't, you know, don't be a martyr. If you had a question, I understand. And then I want to know how you answered that question. But if you had a question, I, I understand. I'm not going off the derrick. Don't worry. And he looks at me. He says, Rabbi Wallerstein, I had a question. I'm like, ah, see, they were human. I'm thinking to myself, they're not angels, they were you. Of course he had a question. He came back to his town, his parents are dead, his brothers and sisters, I think he had seven or nine of them, are dead. His cousins were dead. He doesn't, he came to America, he didn't have family, he doesn't have cousins, he has no one. Now he has children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, but he has no one. You know why? Because they're all dead. No uncles, no aunts, no cousins, they're all dead. Everyone's dead. His town is dead. His shul is dead. Everything's dead. Oh! He had a question. It makes sense. I said, what was your question? He said, you really want to know my question? I'm dying to know your question. He said, I had one question. What was your question? He said, we didn't know that six million Jews died. We knew people in Auschwitz died and we heard that some Jews died in Europe, but we didn't know there were six million Jews. I only found that out way after I came out of the concentration camp. 
He said, and that's when I had my question. I'm like, what was your question? Hashem, why did you save me? Six million died? I don't feel that I'm big tzaddik or I'm very special. Why did you save me? I'm like, I'm like, hold on a second. You, you didn't ask why six million died. That wasn't your question. Your question was, why did one live? Why did I live? He said, 100%. You don't ask questions on Hashem. I didn't ask why six million died. That's his husband. He said, but who am I? I'm not, I wasn't a rabbi. I didn't learn that much. Like, I was trying to figure out, like, why little me that Hashem chose that I should live? He said, Rewalstein, I took on myself at that point that God, if you chose me to live, you saw something in me and you saw some potential in me and I will never leave Yiddishkeit. And I will, I will make your choice that you chose that I should live a good choice. And now look, Rabbi Wallstein, at my children. My grandchildren are in Mir Yeshiva and this Yeshiva. And my, he's a Rosh Karel and my great-grandchildren and Obedor Hashem. He said, I hope after 120 years Hashem's going to say, I made a good choice. He said, I don't know if I was such a good choice because he's an honor of whatever. But I hope he made a good choice. Ladies and gentlemen that are listening to tonight's share, that's not a victim. That's a survivor. Sari Menu, amazing Rashi. Sari Menu was a survivor, not a victim. That she was 90 years old, had no children. That the maid servant made fun of her. That the fake news said she got pregnant from a guy, from being being kidnapped by Pyro and Abimelech. And she had a lot of stuff to be a victim. And Rashi says, Kurai Teva! No victim! Survivor! Her life was great! Was her life great? No! Did she look at her life being great? Yes! Rashi. Chumash, I didn't say it. Rashi and Chumash. Okay? So that's Medvar, opening Dvar Torah, on Chayisara. It's a very important Rashi. But there's another stream I spoke about in the seminary today. I... I'd like to give you a little discussion that I had a girl I had with a girl. It's not in a very good place, this girl. She's very much struggling. Spent a lot of time talking to her. Very special, very smart. Very smart kid. We struggle. And many people feel guilty that they struggle. And many people who have gone through trauma feel guilty that they struggle. But there's a Rashi that talks about a very great man who we would think is beyond struggle, who also struggled. And let's see what happened. Last, no, two weeks ago, no, two weeks ago, Parsha, Parsha Lech Lecha. Sorry that I'm jumping around, but I didn't give a shit for the last while. So it says the following, two Pesukim before the end of the Parsha, I personally feel, I'm nobody to feel this way, I think this is the most important, one of the most important Rashi's in, in the Kola Terakula, and nobody ever learns this Rashi. Why? Because it's two Pesukim before the end. You don't get to learn those Rashi's. You learn, in, when you go to Yeshiva, you learn the beginning for Rashi's. Maybe you get to Shani, maybe you get to Shlishi, maybe you learn Rashi to Ravi, but you don't learn the two last Rashi's in the Parsha. You just don't get there. Okay? Second to last Rashi in the Parsha. Be'etzem ayom azeh, we're talking about the Brismila of Yishmael, Avram Avinu. <coughs> in the middle of that day, um, I'm sorry, it's three psukim. Yishmael ben Al ben Shlesh Yishmael was 13 years old. Behimolo es besar olosai. When he circumcised the besar, the flesh of his Allah. So behimolo is a very interesting word. It sounds like when he was circumcised. It bothers Rashi. So Rashi says the following. Behimolo. Behipoalo. Notal Avram Sakin. Listen to this Rashi, everybody. Avram Avinu took a knife. 
Right? He has to do brismila. He's doing the brismila on himself. It's pretty scary. He's doing the brismila on himself. It's mashma that a person can do it. doesn't have to have a moil. You can do a brismila on yourself. If you could. Not to Avram Sakhan, he took a knife. also, And he he held on to his flesh. And he wanted to do the bris to cut it. Got scared. What were you scared about? Hashem told you to do to do this. What are you scared about? Rashi says, He was old, his hands were shaking. You don't want your hands shaking when you're doing a bris milah. So Abraham Avinu was ready to do the bris. He took the flesh. He's got the flesh in one hand. He's got the knife in the next hand. Hashem tells him, okay, cut it, do the bris milah. And he's like, can't do it. I'm shaking. What do you do? Can't do it. Ma'asha Kaddish Bachu, what did Hashem do? He saw Abraham Avinu was shaking. He saw Abraham Avinu couldn't do the bris. What did he do, Hashem? Beautiful Rashi. Beautiful Rashi, everybody. Shalach Yadai. Hashem sent down his hand. Vo'ochaz imo. And he held on to Avram Avinu's hand. And he did the bris. Vechoros imo habris. We say every morning. Vechoros imo habris. And he, he cut with him the bris. What's the with him? Loi nemra eloi imoi. He said with him because Hashem held his hand so it shouldn't shake, so he shouldn't hurt himself. Huge question. Hashem, if you're there already and you're holding his hand that it shouldn't shake, why didn't you do the bris? If you would have done the bris, it would have healed immediately and Ramavina wouldn't have been sick. Kosh why didn't you do the bris? And the answer is a very important lesson to all of us. God only helps those who help themselves. You have to do something. You can't just sit back and say, Hashem, you do the bris. Hashem said, I understand when a person struggles. I understand when you want to do something and it's hard for you to do and your hand is shaking. I'm not going to do it for you. But I'm going to help you do it. I'm going to hold your hand. I'm always going to hold your hand. Where in the Torah do we see that Hashem held a human being's hand? Avraham Avinu's hand was shaking. Hashem held his hand. Where do we see in the Torah that Hashem spoke to a mouth that could not speak? Hashem, I'm scared. I can't get up to speak. I have a lisp and I stutter. And I'm shaking, and I can't do this. Said Hakadosh Baruch Hu, I want to quote it. I want to quote it. It's very important. So, pretty much, it's the same kasha. If Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't speak, if Moshe Rabbeinu stuttered and he didn't want to make a fool out of himself in front of Paro, God, why are you playing games? You speak. Basko from Shemayim promise you a power would have heard Hashem speak and the whole Mitzrayim would have shook he wouldn't have been laughing he would have taken it very seriously so Moshe Rabbeinu asked this question to Hashem he says the following he said I can't I can't talk Right? Let's see what he, exactly. Right? And he said, I can't talk. They're not going to believe me. I, 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 I lisp and they're going to make fun of me. Be night, please Hashem. I'm not a man of words. I never was a speaker even as a kid. Even now, you didn't fix my mouth while I'm talking to you. I have a disability. Aramavino's hands are shaking. Moshevino's mouth is lisping and stuttering. Says Hashem, listen carefully. 
This is such a lesson to all of us. And this is what Rashi is saying by Avram Avinu. And Hashem says, lech. I am not going to do this for you. I am not going to go down to Mitzrayim and scare Paro and talk to Paro. I am not going to take Klyasrol out of Mitzrayim. You, lech, you have to take the action. You have to go. But if you go, I will be in your mouth. Avram Avinu, your hands are shaking. I will hold your hand. But you got to do it. You can't speak. You open your mouth. I will put the words in your mouth. I will be in your mouth and I will put the words in your mouth. So this is a lesson to all of us that Hashem says, I, I know. I mean, we're talking about Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have the self-esteem, self-confidence to go to Mitzrayim. He, he said, I, I, I just read you the post. I didn't make that up. I can't go. I can't talk. You didn't fix my mouth. I'm still stuttering. I can't go. And, and Avraham Avinu didn't have the guts to cut himself. His hands were shaking. So you don't have to beat yourself up, everybody, when you want to do something and you're scared to do it. Moshe Rabbeinu was bigger than you'll ever be. And Avraham Avinu was probably bigger also than you'll ever be. And they were shaking. And they didn't want to do it. And Hashem said, you do it. You start. I'll hold your hand. You speak. Even though you're not a good speaker, I'll be in your mouth. But you have to do something. You can't just sit back and say, Hashem, you do it for me. It's not the way Hashem works. Everyone who's listening, where else do we see this? Where else do we see? You have to take the action. Very famous. Kleistrol is by the Yamsuf. Kleistrol is stuck. On one side is the Mitzrim, shooting arrows and screaming, I'll kill you and murder you and cut your head off and drink your blood and oh my gosh. The biggest army, the most amazing army in the world. The Navy, the Army, the Air Force, they had the most amazing army. Nobody ever defeated Mitzrayim. And on the other side is an ocean, a raging ocean. I got little babies, I got little children, I got cows, I got lambs, I, I got my wife. I can't go into that ocean. I can't go, my kids are going to die, my kids are going to drown, my wife's going to drown. How much could I swim already? I'm going to lose all my money, the wagons are going to be... Well, I can't do it, we can't do it. So at that point, Hashem should have just said, Alright! I took Yadam and Shraim to go get the Torah. Yam split! He doesn't do that. He said to Avram, he said to Moshe Abeno, Moshe Abeno, I guess didn't maybe get the lesson. Hashem said, Moshe Abeno started davening. Okay, everybody, we're stuck between the Mitzrim and the ocean. Take out your Tehillims. Everybody, take out your Tehillims. We're going to say the whole Tehillim. They were stuck. They were in a very bad position. They were about to lose their kids and everything else. So they cried to Hashem. And they davened. And they said Tehillim. I don't know if Tehillim was written at that point, but whatever. They davened to Hashem. And Hashem said something that nobody understands. He said to Moshe Abenu, Lama titzak Eli. Why are you crying? Why are you davening? Do something! One second. When a Jew's in trouble, what do we do? We daven. Hashem said, not enough. Lama titzak Eli. Stop davening. Do an action. Nachshem went into the water. Water didn't split. Went into his shoulders. Water didn't split. Went up to his chin. Water didn't split. Went over his mouth. Water didn't split. Went over his nose where he could not live anymore in the water as a human being. He would drown because the water was over his nose. The yam split. You broke your teva as a human being. 
the Yam had to break the Erteva. Why is Hashem, what are we doing? Because Baruch just split the ocean. Hashem has to jump in, he's a human being. Jump in, the water's go over his nose. Just split the ocean. Hashem says, no, I will not do anything unless you do something. Once you do something, I'll split the whole Yamsuf. Once you do something, I'll hold your hand by the bris milah. Once you do something, I'll go in your mouth and the words will come from me. But if you're not willing to do anything, I'm not going to help you. I believe very much that coming out of the Holocaust, losing 6 million Jews, we pretty much were very close to losing everything that we've had. We lost like Yedalim, Tzadikim, and Yeshivas, and, and, and just Hasidus, and Rebbes, and, and just we lost everything. But this man that I met, He's a survivor, and he said, listen, I, I don't, it's scary, he told me, coming to America, they didn't speak the language, they did not have a job, he had absolutely no relatives, he was coming to a land he knew nothing about, he was coming out of Europe, he didn't know anything about it, he couldn't even speak a word, right? And it was very scary, but he made up his mind that, listen, Hashem runs the world, I, I'm going to jump into the ocean, like Nachshon. Hashem will do whatever he has to, he says, look at me. And he was like talking about his grandchildren in Kaila like the whole time. He was like, look at my grandchildren, and he's a Rav, and he's a Rebbe, and he's in Kaila, and my great-grandchildren, they're in Yeshiva. And he was like so proud and so excited. And his question, everyone, we're all going through our traumas, and we're all going through our stuff. And his question was, why did I survive? And maybe we need to think about COVID and a lot of people died. A lot of people got very sick. And a lot of people are still very sick. And you could have a question like, Hashem, why did you do this? Why did you close the yeshivas? Why did you close this? Why did you close the shuls? Why are we being picked on? Why do people die? That wasn't this Holocaust survivor's question. The question is, so we lost all these G'daylim, and we lost all these people, and how come I'm still alive? How come I'm not on a respirator, Chas Shalom? How come I can still walk around? How come people lost their vision, people lost their hearing, people had terrible defects to their heart because of this disease? And if Baruch Hashem, you're, 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 you're alive and you're healthy, your question shouldn't be like, what's wrong with Hashem? What are you doing to us? Like, you know, why are so many people sick? And why did you close my yeshivas? And why did you close my shul? The question would be, why did I survive? And why am I able to daven? And why is my shul open? And why now are my kids in yeshiva? Must be that Hashem saw something special and, and believes that in my potential. And you know what, Hashem? I survived COVID after 120 years. I'm going to make you proud that because I survived it, what I did with the rest of my life. Instead of being depressed and, and tragedy, we have to be the other way around. We have to be, oh my gosh, all these Sadiqim and all these Paiskim and all these Bali Tzedakah Hashem took away. Not why did He take them away, why did He leave me here? Maybe I need to give more Tzedakah. Maybe I need to learn more Torah. Maybe I need to get smich and be able to be a paisik because so many of them passed away and so many people who gave tzedakah passed away, but I didn't. So after 120 years, I'm like, you know what? I did it and look what I did the rest of my life. I learned Torah, I did mitzvahs, I gave tzedakah, I became a paisik, I became a gadol, I became Rosh Hashiva. I, I stepped up. You have to have that same one question that the Holocaust survivor had. That's the question you need to have now. So he made her. So he made her her whole life. Kuwaitaiva. She didn't focus on the trauma that she went through. She focused on, I survived. Hashem gave me a child at 90. Not why didn't you give me a child till I was 90. That wasn't her question. Why Abraham Avinu was able to, to, he was wearing an amulet, he was able to heal everyone, he wasn't able to heal her. He never, she never asked him that. She's not, I didn't ask a question, why I didn't have children till 90? I asked a question, why at 90 did I have a child? Amazing! The other way around. Says Rashi, Shnei Taiva. But if you read the story, what Kulay Taiva this woman went through pretty much worse than anyone else in the Torah.
We don't even understand what it means to be to be to be kidnapped by Paro in his bedroom, and he wants to be with you, and crazy stuff. She had to create a shindalit. I mean, crazy stuff she went through. And then again, a second time, and then Hagar, and then Yishmael, and then and then seeing Yitzchak being shechted. What are you saying, Kulit And the answer is to her. She focused on the positive. She didn't focus on the negative. Very big lesson in Chayesar and a very big lesson in, 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 in Lech Lecha. Everyone needs to know that Hashem will hold your hand. You just got to take the first step. He'll hold your hand. So, I spoke about it in seminary and I think that they actually took the tape of my seminary shear and they posted it on Torah anytime so it's probably this year before this one. But I think this is very, very important and I want to discuss this and I'll close with this. So this week, it's not only this week, it's been going on for a very long time. The kids that are struggling, the kids that are going off the derech, the derech. So they have a question. And they're like, you know, Rabbi Wallstein, Hashem only loves you if you do the right thing. I feel like he only loves me if I keep if I keep Shabbos and I eat kosher and I do what I'm supposed to, then he loves me. But but if I don't do exactly what he wants, he doesn't love me at all. I think to Hashem, his mitzvahs and his Torah are more important than me. I hear this all the time. And of course the next thing that comes is and my parents are like that too. If they really loved me because I'm their daughter. What does it bother them if I don't keep Shabbos? What does it bother them if I wear pants? What does it bother them if I don't eat kosher? I'm their daughter. So it seems to me that, to my parents, Hashem's mitzvahs are more important than me. They don't really love me. They only love me if I do what Hashem wants me to do. Then they love me. But they don't really love me. They love that I keep the mitzvahs in the Torah. You see, Rabbi Wallace, in the minute I go off to Derech, they don't really want me in the house anymore. But if it was the love of just the daughter, what do they care if I keep Shabbos or not? I get this every day. So a few nights ago, I met a girl. Very sharp, very sharp, very smart. Very sharp, very smart kid. A step ahead of me sometimes. And she feels this way. She feels that Hashem loves his Torah mitzvahs more than he loves you. And I'm sure some of the people who are listening think the same. So I answered her, and I'm answering everyone who's listening. Totally not true. What do you mean? In God's Torah, in his relationship with us, the halacha is, if someone's life is in danger, you can be Mechal Shabbos for them. If a girl is on a building and says, I'm going to jump, Rabbi Wallstein, unless you give me a cheeseburger right now to eat, I have to give her a cheeseburger. There's no question. If a pregnant woman is in danger of losing her child because she smelled chazer, she smelled bacon and eggs and McDonald's in the morning, and she feels if she doesn't have the bacon and eggs, she's going to lose the child. Give her the bacon and eggs. Hatzal is mechal Shabbos every minute because of a suffix that the person that called maybe may, they may be pikuach nefesh. The, the, the Mishnah says that if a building caves in, you don't know in the building if there's a person. Just you saw the building cave in, you don't know if there's someone in there, and you also don't know if they're dead or alive because if they're dead, you can't be mechal Shabbos. You have to be Mechal Shabbos. You have to bring a tractor and take all the stones off to see if there's a human being in there. So not only does Hashem say that your life is more important than my whole Torah, the, the possibility of your life is more important than the whole Torah. So if the Torah was more important than you, to God, God would say, listen, if you're going to die, I gave you life. If you don't, you're going to die because you don't, because you're not going to get Chazer. You can't have Hazar. Then you're just going to have to die. But that's not what he says. He says, you can be Mechal everything in my Torah. 
for pikuach nefesh. Now you're going to say to me, yeah, but there are three mitzvahs that you have to give your life up for. If someone puts a gun to your head and says, bow down to Buddha, you have to let them shoot you. If if you put your gun to your head and says, you kill this person or I'm going to kill you, you have to you have to you have to be killed. If he says you have to sleep with this, you have to commit adultery with this married woman, or I'm going to kill you, you have to die. So Rabbi Walsey, it's true, 600 mitzvahs in the Torah, Hashem says, you are more important. But there are three mitzvahs that Hashem says, I'm more important. Wrong. The Shulchan Aruch Paskins, that if someone puts a gun to your head and says, bow down to Buddha or to avoid the Zorah, I'm going to kill you, you're supposed to give up your life. But what happens... You don't give up your life. You, you just you, at the moment you just you can't do it, and you bow down to Buddha. Are you chayiv? Halach is you're not chayiv. You put there. There's no punishment, even though you should have done that. But because you're an ayne, someone had a gun in your head. Has to, everyone has to leave you alone. So even those three, at the end of the day, your life is more important. So what God is telling us that in His Torah, not in other religion, the Jewish religion. Your life is so important that even if it's a suffix, maybe, maybe, you're allowed to be Mechal Shabbos. You don't even know if there's a person in there. You don't even know if he's alive. So I said to this girl, what are you talking about? You don't even know what you're talking about. You're telling me that, that to Hashem, his mitzvahs are more important. Hashem's saying, no! You're over and Avera if you don't save that person. If you're not Mechal Shabbos and you let them die, you kill them! If you didn't give her the, the, the cheeseburger and she jumped off the building, you're a murderer. Hashem says, my Torah, everything that I stand for, gets pushed aside when it comes to your life. And this girl's looking at me and she's like, wow, I never realized that. I never thought about that. To God, my life is more important than this whole Torah. And that's a fact. And you know the halachas. Two. So then she said, but if God really loves me, then why wouldn't he let me have a good time? If eating a burger or being with a guy or whatever I want to do or watching TV on Shabbos makes me happy, doesn't Hashem love me? Doesn't that mean that he wants me to be happy. So I gave her an example about myself. I'm a diabetic. I'm not allowed to have sugar, chocolate, stuff like that. I'm not supposed to. It's not good for me. Diabetes is out of control. Chatham can cause heart failure, kidney failure, a lot of bad things. I love chocolate. Don't send me chocolate. I love chocolate. I love coconut. I love chocolate with coconut. It makes me happy to have a chocolate bar with coconut in it. It makes me happy. I love it. My wife says, you can't eat that. It's not good for you. It's going to throw your sugar off. It's going to throw your whole body off. It's, it could kill you if you continue doing that. Now, what this girl is saying is I should turn to my wife and say, but don't you love me? Don't you want me to be happy? So if you want me to be happy, let me eat my coconut chocolate! Don't you want me to be happy? And she's like, yeah, that's happy for a moment, but it's killing you. That's not happy. You want to live a long time. God knows spiritually, he created us, we're part of him. So he knows what's good for that soul. It's like a brain cell. It's like you're a cell in a whole brain. He knows what's good for that soul. And he knows that eating chazer, or wearing a short skirt, or watching television on Shabbos, or all the adverus in the Torah, he knows that even though you enjoy them, enjoy that chocolate with the coconut, it's going to kill you. You're going to come to the next world, and the shaman's going to be dead. So he says that even though you enjoy it, it's not good for you. It's not good to enjoy things that are not good for you. People enjoy cigarettes, but it causes cancer. 
So should we tell that person, well, smoking makes you happy, so smoke away. Smoke three packs a day because it makes you happy. No, there's a warning on each on the cigarette box says, the Surgeon General says, this will cause cancer, this will kill you. So even though you're momentarily happy, it's not good for you. So, doing an Avera might make you happy, but it doesn't make you healthy. Hashem knows what makes you healthy, and in the end, in the next world, it's going to make you very happy. So therefore, to say, why doesn't Hashem let me eat chazer, let me watch a movie on television, let me watch on Shabbos, let me wear pants, let me wear a short skirt, it's what makes me feel good. Hashem's like, I know it makes you feel good, but it's not good for you. It feels good, but it's not good for you. Because I created your soul, and I know what food your soul needs to eat, and I know what's poison for your soul, and therefore, I care about you, and I love you, and Zachary Wallstein, give me that chocolate-covered coconut because it's just not good for you. But I love it, and it makes me happy. I know, but it's going to kill you. And that person really loves you. The person who says, oh, just eat your chocolate, have a good time, enjoy life, but you'll be dead in two years, that person doesn't love you. Because loves us, and he wants after 120 years that we should come to the next world, and our neshama should be healthy. And guess what? Our parents, who love us very much, their love for us is that they want you to go with Derech Hashem because they believe that the Derech Hashem that they're brought up with and that they're giving over to you will make you healthy in the next world. It's an argument that I have, I'm not getting into with who, but with the people that believe that if your child wants piercings and drugs and 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 boyfriends or whatever they want, give it to them because that'll make them happy and that'll bring them close to you. You're giving them a coconut. You're giving a diabetic a coconut chocolate bar. You're killing them. Yeah, you're making them happy, just, but in the next world they're dead. You're not doing them a favor. You don't love them. You just want to make them happy, but you don't love them. You really love them. You'll do whatever you can to make sure that that neshama ends up in a good place in the next world. This world's 70 years, 90 years. That world's forever. And when Mashiach comes, not everyone is going to come back. Don't you want your kid to come back? If right now Mashiach came and you're following that derech and you're, you're helping your kid be Machal Shabbos, you're helping them buy trafe, you're helping them buy drugs, you're helping them get tattoos, you're helping them get piercings, you're helping with all that, and right now Mashiach comes. You think that kid's going to come, come be in Oyom Haba? You think he's going to be by the base of Mikdash Shlishi? He's done! You killed him! Oh, but he's going to come back! No, but Mashiach came today! He doesn't have a chance to come back! Too late! He's in the middle of a burger with cheese that you bought him and Mashiach's there. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah, you're making him happy. You're giving him the chocolate with the coconut. But he's a freaking diabetic. You're killing him. What are you doing? And that's what happened with Sari Menu and Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu loved Yishmael. And then he had a Yitzchak, and he loved Yitzchak. And don't you think for one second, he didn't love Yishmael as much as he loved Yitzchak. He did. And all the Midrashim say that he did. And Sari Menu came to Abraham Avinu and said, Yishmael has taken down my son Yitzchak. And Abraham Avinu said, I, I, I'll take care of Yishmael. I'm the biggest in Kirov. There's no one bigger than me. I took people from Haran who bowed down to Avodah the lowest of the low, and I made them my disciples. I made them my... I made them. I made them. I'm going to fix Yishmael. I'm going to love him. I'm going to do whatever I have to do. Good time now. Sorry, Middle said, I don't care what you're going to do. You are hurting the Ruchnius of my child, Yitzchak. And Abraham Avinu heard both sides. And he didn't know what to do. Throw your shmuel out. Everyone will tell you today, any therapist or any rabbi, you never throw your kid out. You're not allowed to throw your kid out. I agree. You shouldn't throw your kid out if he's your only child. But if he's affecting your other children, 
who gave you permission to sacrifice as a carbon your other children because of another child? Who gave you that rishus? Go to a rav, speak about it. Who gave you that rishus? So Ram Avinu really didn't know what to do. He really didn't know what to do. He's the man. He, he, give me a chance to do kirav. Masari Menu said, while you're doing kirav, I'm losing my other kid. So he went to Hashem. I guess there's no bigger paisik or therapist or rabbi than Hashem. Nobody in our door for sure is bigger than God. And God said, I'll take care of Yishmael. He's not going to die in the desert. Take care of him. But he can't be home with Yitzchak. Your wife is right. You cannot sacrifice another kid, even though you love him. I'm not going to let him die. Take care of him. He's going to grow up to be a huge nation. He gave him the Malachim, a big bracha. He's going to be up to a big nation with para Adam. He's going to be wild and crazy. And we see how big the nation is today. But he can't stay home. Because it's not about being happy. I'd be very happy if I could sit right now and have 10 bars of chocolate, four bags of potato chips, and a good ice cold bottle of Coke. Make me so happy, but it will kill me. And someone who loves me, my wife would never allow that to be on this table because she knows it would make me happy. But in the end, when someone gets very sick and he dies way before his time, he's not making anyone happy. So the real love of God is that when it comes to your life, you come before me. You come before me, says Hashem. Which is huge. Can you explain that to a non-Jew? That God says that a human being who's made out of dust, who goes to the dirt, who goes to the worms, who's nobody, is more important than him. And all his rules. And I said this to this girl. And she said, you gave me a lot to digest, Rabbi, but I, I never thought of it this way. Because Baruch Hu loves us. His mitzvahs sometimes look to us that it's constraining. Putting on a seatbelt in your car is not always comfortable. But seatbelts save lives. So you got to put it on. And if you don't put it on, that silly little thing is going to keep buzzing in your car till you go crazy. It doesn't turn off. I want to be happy. Shut up. I don't want to put on my seatbelt. I like the windows open and my hands flailing. Yeah, but at 55 miles an hour, if you get hit, you're going to go through the windshield. You're going to die. So you put that seatbelt on. But I want to be happy. That's not happy. That's not happy. Safety is happy. Keeping the Torah mitzvahs is the seatbelt for your neshama. Be a survivor. Think about why you survived, Baruch Hashem, to this point, covid and so many people died and so many people suffered, but you didn't. And don't think it's because you wore a mask, because a lot of people wear masks and they get it anyway. It's because you should wear a mask and you should wash your hands and you should so- social distance because ain't same chalal nace. You're not Hashem. When you depend on a nace, then they got to open your books and they got to see if you deserve it. And when once the tax audit happens and they open your books, you're in big trouble. So put on the mask and wash your hands and definitely social distance. There's nothing to talk about. But at the end of the day, there are people who put on their mask and wash their hands and social distance, and they got it anyway. So you have to look at Hashem and say, not why did everyone else die, but why am I alive? And we lost crazy amount of tzedakah, people who did charity, who did volunteer work, a crazy amount of Torah, a lot of Rosh Hashivas and Tzaddikim, a crazy amount of Paiskim, crazy amount of fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and now instead of sitting there and feeling sorry for yourself and and not picking your head up is just the opposite is that you have to be like that that holocaust survivor and say if I didn't get it and I am alive maybe I need to give more money to tzedakah because the guys who used to give are not here maybe I need to do more give more time 
in volunteering to Klai because those people are not here. Maybe I need to, if I'm young, maybe I could go to a, 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 smicha, a smicha class because we lost a lot of Paiskim. We lost Rev Dubber, we lost the biggest Paiskim. We lost a lot of Paiskim. And maybe I need to go to, to learn Tyra so I could become a Rebbe. We lost a lot of Rabbeim. And maybe I could see what I could do for the families who lost fathers and, 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 and brothers and all that to help them financially, whatever else help that they need. And then after 120 years, you could say, Hashem, I didn't let you down. You did, I didn't die in that in, in, in 2020. I didn't die in that whole terrible, terrible disease. And I promised you that I would that I didn't go through that and I and ended up being alive, that I'm, I'm going to be a survivor and I'm going to make it worth that you picked me. That's how you have to look at this whole thing. It's a totally different look. Maybe we'll be Zoycha to see Mashiach because the whole world is... Not because of the whole world. We need Mashiach because we want to see Hashem and we want to get out of Golos. We want the Shekhinah to be out of Golos. And um, we should see Beheri Yameinu. Hanukkah is a time of... It's coming up. It's a time of miracles. It's a time of Nisim. And we should be able to see Nisim Niglim. Hanukkah was Nisim Niglim. It wasn't the Storm. Purim was a storm. There were secret miracles. We didn't see. We didn't see the miracle. Hanukkah. It was supposed to light one day. It lit eight days. The little teeny army beat the Greek army. We saw open miracles. Maybe we'll be zeichet to see in the coming days and coming weeks open miracles. Thank you for listening. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.